Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Lord, thank you for your reckless love, Lord. Lord, you value each and every one of us so much that you left the 99 to go after the one that wandered away. That's how much your love just expresses all across this entire earth. It's a reckless love because it's who you are. You created us for your pleasure because you love us. You are love. Lord, we just pray that we would understand that more and more as the days go on, Lord. How precious that love is to each and every one of us. Even we, even though we may not know it right now. Help us to try to live into what you have planned for each and every one of us. You have purposed each and every one of us for great things. Help us to uncover what that is, Lord. Help us to trust in you. Help us to trust in others that have our best interest. We love you, Lord. We ask, Lord, that you would bless Pastor Karen as she brings this message to us this morning. And help us to live it out in our lives, Lord. We love you. It's in your precious name we do pray this Please be seated. Good morning. Good morning. I was thinking this morning about um, being Mother's Day. I read this book a long time ago um, called Protecting the Gift. Have you guys ever heard of this? It's not actually a Christian book. I know you have because <laughs> I've talked about it a lot. Um, I read it a long time ago. Uh, it was recommended to me by my sister-in-law. And one of the things... Um, it's written by an FBI profiler. I, this is going somewhere, I promise. Um, the, the FBI profiler, he, you know, I've, I don't like to read. I, when I read, it's for information. So there have been very few Bible, or very few Bibles. Um, there have been very few books that I've read in my life that have, like, changed the way I live life or do things. Um, the Holy Bible, number one. And then the second one is Protecting the Gift, this book that I read. Because one of the things he said in there that stuck with me throughout the, the years and actually in raising all of my kids is when I grew up, have you heard the term stranger danger? You know, you tell your kids, don't talk to strangers, don't talk to strangers. In this book, the guy's like, no, teach your kids to talk to strangers. Because kids that are outgoing, kids that are vocal, um, they are not good victims. And I appreciated this little, like, nugget of wisdom, right? And then also it says in the book, that if your kids get lost, don't tell them to like find a police officer because how often do we see a police officer just standing around waiting for help or to go find a security guard? Yeah, no, it says um, first find a woman, find a woman because the chances, first of all, tell your kid to find somebody. If you can't find a woman, then find a man, but tell them to find somebody because the chances of them, like there's this innate kind of like feeling you might get when you're around somebody that's just not right. And the longer a kid's standing there, the chances, if somebody approaches them, the chances of that person being an unsafe person increases if they're approaching them. Versus if the kid goes to somebody, the, them approaching somebody who's unsafe is very slim. And so the number one thing was find somebody, if you can find a woman. And the reason he says find a woman 
is because the likelihood of a woman stopping everything she's doing, whether that woman has children or not, and dedicating herself to finding this child's people is like astronomical. A lot of times if um, you, like they're, don't get me wrong, like men will do that too, of course. Um, but the likelihood of man, man saying, hey, I'll take you to this manager and then I'll leave you there and go about my business, which is totally fine. But a woman will not do anything else until this child finds their people. And on this Mother's Day, I'm thinking, you don't have to be a mother to be a mother. You know, it's something that women have in common, that we care for others. Men, you care for others too. I see it all the time. Um, but there's something about the way that God created women uniquely in his image that they're kind of like the physical representation of his just spirit of nurturing and um, just taking care of others in a very special way. And so um, I want to say, women, happy Mother's Day. Um, young, old, I see it um, in the way even, you know, uh, Haley was over here caring for her little brother. Um, at five years old, you just see it, and it's beautiful, and I'm, I'm grateful for, for you women um, and uh, for all that you do for others and for all the ways that you have, each single person here, I can say, um, that you've touched my life in some unique way, and I'm very, very grateful for it, so thank you. Um, so that was an aside. That's not part of the sermon. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that's all. Let's go home. Um, so uh, whenever I'm telling a story or I'm really excited about something, I get really animated. And I use my hands when I talk. Maybe you guys have heard me share this before. Um, but my face gets really expressive. And um, if you've heard this before, Ezra has said that if any of anybody ever wanted to kidnap me, they don't have to duct tape my mouth, they just have to tie my hands. Because without my hands, I won't be able to talk. Because I, you know, um, I'm very expressive. Um, when I am in a familiar and safe format, uh, and I'm not feeling nervous or stressed out in my like natural state, I move around a lot and I talk with my body. Um, but something strange happens when I get to church and I'm standing like near a pulpit and I'm talking in front of you, even though I've had many conversations with many of you many times and I feel very safe with all of you. Uh, for whatever reason, when I, I stand here, I kind of like, kind of box myself into this little bubble here and I'm afraid to like um, move out of it. And I just stay in this like one spot and my hands kind of stay put um, because this isn't actually my comfort zone at all. Um, and I know that public speaking is like a chart topper for most people, that that's like one of the number one fears in the world. Um, but I actually don't mind it at all. It doesn't panic me. Um, I definitely get nervous, but there's a lot of things that make me nervous, and this is definitely not the worst of them. Um, I was actually just telling Angela yesterday when she was talking about those um, pedicures where they have the little fish in the water, yeah. and they're like, <laughs> I have this very irrational fear of fish. It doesn't make sense to me, but the thought of that just, I will speak in public to multitudes of people before I would want to put my feet in those water, in that water. Um, can you guys think of anything that's outside of your comfort zone, something that's unfamiliar, um, where you don't feel as free to like speak as you usually do or to interact with people like you usually do in your own comfort zone? Can you think of anything like that? Doing what you're doing, standing in front of everybody. Standing in front of people and, yeah, yeah talking. Public speaking is really right up there. Public speaking. Yeah. Being on stage. Being on someone. 
can be on stage unless I'm not behind a whole bunch of people. Okay, yeah. So you prefer to be on stage if you're like with a, a crowd on stage, yeah. maybe like a theater situation. And also like tiny, it's like a cluster of holes on my like skin. I hate it. Mm -hmm. What is that called? Tryptophobia? Yeah. Trypophobia. What is it? Trypophobia. Trypophobia? Yeah. yeah. I, have a, I might know somebody else who doesn't like that. Um, so I want to read you guys a passage from Matthew 14. And as we read, I want you guys to visualize um, what's going on. So when I say visualize, kind of try and, as we're reading through, get a picture in your head of the scene. Um, imagine that you're there, like, think about what it feels like, what you might be seeing around you, maybe the temperature, the just kind of the mood of the situation. Um, uh, kind of get a, a motion picture going in your head as we read through this. Um, this story takes place after Jesus and the disciples feed 5,000 uh, families, and they only had five loaves of uh, bread and two fish. So maybe you're familiar, maybe you're not. I don't like to say everybody knows the story. Uh, we were just talking about that this morning because I didn't uh, start going to church until I was late, late teens, and pastors would say, you all know this one, and I was like, no, I don't. So um, maybe you're familiar, maybe you're not. So let's read through it this morning and try and get a running picture in your head of like the vibes that are going on, the feeling, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. I had to look up buffeted. It means like the water's crashing up against it. Uh, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed onto the boat, the wind died down. When those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are Son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret, Gennesaret. And when the men at that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. So I've read this story a few times, and uh, my big takeaway from this has always been that um, our doubt can sink us, and um, we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And if our eyes aren't fixed on Jesus, we might we might drown. Um, and um, it's our faith, our faith in Jesus, that's going to keep us above water. And I wholeheartedly believe all of that. I believe that that is the truth. And um, sometimes I do feel like I'm drowning. But as I read this passage um, a few years ago, I reread it, and this is the beautiful thing about God's scripture being the living word, is that sometimes he speaks something different to your heart. And um, I learned something new when I read through this event. 
Um, after feeding 5,000 families with a serious food shor shortage, Jesus sent his disciples ahead of him um, so that he could see their crowd off and so he could spend some time praying alone. And if we just imagine for a minute the perspective from the disciples' point of view. So I picture that the disciples at that point are feeling really tired. And Jesus sends them away. And they did what he told them. Um, but more and more distance was separating them from him. They're out on the water. Jesus stayed behind. And heavy winds start to come up. And the water's beating up against the boat. And they have no idea where Jesus is. Um, aside from where they had left him previously. In verse 25, it says that it's just before dawn when the disciples see Jesus walking on the lake. And they don't recognize that it's him, and they see this human figure walking on water, completely defying everything we know about physics. Um, and they naturally are very, very terrified. So, you know, it's like still kind of dim outside. There's barely a light. Sunset hasn't actually happened yet. It's twilight. So it's like... There is some light, but it's dim. They see a figure walking on the lake. Just picture that. And um, I don't think we give it enough pause. Do you have that picture in your head of like what that might feel like? And then uh, um, go ahead and do you have that picture? Josiah, do you recognize this picture? Oh yeah, 100%. Okay, so in, it was <laughs> in 2020, I believe it was August of 2020. So. Um, you remember August of 2020, we're like just at the start of uh, the pandemic. And um, that morning, we woke up to, I don't know if you guys remember this happening, there was like this crazy lightning and thunderstorm. There wasn't really any rain, and it was August, so it was like, what is going on? And I just remember hearing like mega thunder outside. It was super alarming, and um, it was... Uh, like pink outside and like flashes and I was like what is going on and so of course I had to go outside and check it out and so soon after that other kids were kind of waking up and going like what's going on and we go outside and check it out so pretty soon we're all outside checking it out except for Josiah and um, you know there's like crazy stuff going on the rooms are lit up in a different color and all this stuff so Josiah wakes up and do you remember what you thought uh, I walked past, was that my sister's room? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I just see this thing. I was like. So, do you remember initially he thought, oh, there's Eden. She's looking out the window because she had like a little chest standing in front of her window. And he thought she was standing on it looking out the window. So he walks by and sees like she's standing looking out the window. And he's like, where's everybody else? And he, I think you said something to her like, Eden, Eden. And she wasn't answering. And then he like looked again and. It actually was floating. You can't see here because it's like such a dark picture. Um, if you look at it, I have it on my phone. Um, you can see a little better that it's actually floating. There's no legs. And so he sees this floating person in his window and no other family members in the house. And there's lightning and booming thunder and pink coming through the window. And do you remember what you... But the, yeah. yeah, so you want to share? Like, did, the, did the rapture happen? <laughs> why, why am I still <laughs> So, yeah, he shared that with me, and I um, actually just saw it on a Facebook memory post, and I, I like, I had written out, every, you know, what he had told me. Um, I normally don't remember things so well. That's why I write them out um, on Facebook. And, uh, yeah, that's what he thought. Oh, my gosh, the rapture happened. And I got like, I'm here. And uh, so then he like 
got up the bravery to turn on the light and saw it's actually um, Eden had a couple of dresses that were just hanging on. Um, she has a, like this little chair. She had it hanging from there, and just the way that it was hanging and the way that the light hit just perfectly looked like a, a person, and it was floating, and it was uh, absolutely terrifying. So I'm picturing that the disciples probably felt something like that, like, you know, like they're seeing this human figure walking out on water and um, coming toward them while the water is beating up against, you know, and, and Jesus tells them, it's me. Um, so just imagine like being out in the boat before dawn, the light is dim, the distance, you're seeing someone walking toward you on water. And I imagine that they're tired, probably stressed, and now they've gone the whole night without knowing where Jesus is. And at the first sign of light, this is what they see. And we know that they're, like, they're terrified, and that's totally reasonable. I think sometimes we kind of skim past that, like, you know, because we know what happens maybe, or I don't know, but um, it's reasonable for them to be completely terrified. And Jesus doesn't let them sit in that fear. He doesn't let them sit in their speculation. He tells them, take courage. He offers words of encouragement. It is I. He identifies himself. Do not be afraid. He gives them direction. I imagine the disciples were all still feeling pretty skeptical. Uh, but Peter gathers up enough courage to call out, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. <coughs> I'm over here thinking there's fish in that water, so I definitely would have been one of the ones staying in the boat. Jesus says, come. And I think Peter needs to get a little bit of credit here. Uh, moments before, he was completely terrified. But he knows his Savior's voice. He recognized his call. And I can't say that all the time. I don't always hear my Savior's voice. I don't always recognize my call. Peter, in this moment, he heard that voice that he knew. And he responded. Um, sometimes I battle in my own mind about what does God want for me? What timing? Where should I be? What should I be doing? I'm 43 years old, and sometimes I don't even know what I want to be when I grow up. Um, I'm just finishing my AA. Like, you know, it's taken me a minute. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, I've, <changed> <laughs> I've changed my major like six or seven times. Um, but what we see is that Peter steps out of the safety of his comfort zone, that boat, in that moment. And with his eyes fixed on Jesus, he trusts fully in him and walks toward him on the water. Also defying gravity and physics and so many other scientific laws. And then... Peter starts to see what's going on around him. But it's not what he sees that causes him to start sinking. It's what he's feeling. The waves, the wind, the water, they're all there. They were all there when he stepped out. He knew those were there, and he stepped out. But as he became more vulnerable, and as the boat was behind him, he wasn't just stepping out, but he was fully out on the water, and he was shaken. I don't know what was racing through his mind at that time, but I imagine him moving from seeing Jesus uh, and being excited and jumping all in to going to a place of analyzing and overthinking and allowing the waves and the wind and the, his own mortality to kind of take a stronger hold on him than when he initially was called out of the boat. Peter, as he's sinking, he calls out, Lord, save me. In the midst of his fear and doubt, Peter still knew who to call out to. Um, and we're going to have sinking moments in life. Maybe moments that last months, years, decades. 
Maybe it feels so long, like we are just sinking slowly and getting deeper and deeper, but don't forget to who to call out to. Amen. When I've read this passage before, I've moved straight from Peter's sinking um, to Jesus telling him, you have little faith, why did you doubt? Have you guys ever heard the phrase, it's not what you say about how you say it? I heard it from my mom a lot um, when I was particularly a teenager. And then when um, I started raising teenagers, I found myself saying it a lot uh, because there's this weird phenomenon with the uh, tone of our voice, right? If I were to say, um, like, hey, Eden, it's, uh, or if I just called to her, like, hey, Eden, if she were to say to me, what? And I were like, um, hey, uh, maybe try that again. You know, that feels, the what feels so much different than yes or what. You know, it just resonates differently. So a tone of voice can mean a lot. It's the difference between your attitude, your mood, how you're responding, maybe what's like present in your heart. And um, when I've read that verse before, I thought, I feel like it's a bit harsh. And Peter was the only one that actually stepped out of the boat. And he's the one that's like being told, oh, you have little faith. And I'm like, um, it feels harsh, but I recognize in reading it again and again and again a few times that maybe I'm not right. You know, Jesus is not being harsh. This is a real question, you know, and we can't look over what is actually happening in that moment. So because the question that Jesus asked, it's not just you have little faith. It's why did you doubt? And I'm thinking, as I've read before, I've, I've kind of felt it as, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? But maybe he was saying, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? It's a question. So if you have that visual in your mind, Peter's looking at Jesus. He sees the wind. He gets scared. So what does Jesus do? He immediately reached out his hand and caught him. Immediately. He did not let Peter sink. He did not lecture him first. He saved him first. So this, um, you little faith, why did you doubt? That wasn't the first thing that, that happened. It was him reaching out and him saving him. And while I've read this verse and imagined him being abrupt with Peter and telling the guy who stepped off the boat that his faith was a little, which makes me wonder how tiny my faith is, um, I'm reminded that Jesus also says in Matthew 17, 20, truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Those are Jesus's words. And that is what he wants to do for us. This is the God we serve. God who walks on water to come to us. And as we walk toward him, he will extend his hand out to catch us as we sink. So what about the disciples who didn't exit the boat? Jesus got in with them. It wasn't a one-time calling that they missed. Jesus met every single disciple where they were. I almost didn't include the last few verses of this passage because I was primarily thinking about how Jesus calls us to step out into faith. Um, but when Jesus and his disciples reached the other side of the body of the water, um, people were bringing their sick to touch his cloak. And this is very relevant to the rest of the story. Uh, these people were so excited about Jesus that they were spreading the word of his arrival. And they had their hearts and minds set on getting their sick to him. I can't imagine that this was an easy thing to do. They didn't have cars. You know, they, like, they're taking their sick and 
finding a way to get them to Jesus by foot or by donkey. This, you know, not hop in a car and, or like put them on a stretcher or, you know, they had to, they were working hard to get them to Jesus. And they just wanted to touch the end of his cloak. This is an act of great faith. Their faith isn't in the cloak, but in the man who was wearing the cloak. And like Peter calling out to Jesus in that moment where he was drowning, these people are also reaching out for Jesus. So my question for everyone here this morning is, what is your boat? What are you standing in that is keeping you safe? It's okay to be safe. But when God calls you out of that safety zone, are you going to step out? Are you going to be able to keep your eyes on him? Knowing that you might start to sink. But where is your faith? What comfort zones are you staying in because the wind is scary and the waves are crashing and confusion and doubt are bigger than Jesus is calling sometimes it feels? I think it's important for us to kind of look at our little safety nets that we have and where God might be calling us. Sometimes it's not a matter of what he wants us to do, but at what time he wants us to do it. Maybe our safety is... um, making sure we cover all the bases. You know, there's, there's nothing wrong with planning. I like to plan. I like to make sure things are in order. Um, but sometimes God says, just do this thing. And uh, we've got to do the thing. Um, and sometimes he tells us, don't do the thing. And you're like, but I really want to do the thing. And he's like, nope, don't do the thing. Because <laughs> he's our boat. And that's the boat we shouldn't be getting out of. <laughs> so um, what I want to say is if, if you guys are thinking about whatever like boat you might be in that's your safety boat that you're not wanting to get out of when when you're hearing Jesus call you a direction Um, as you think about it as you pray about it share it with somebody else if you knew immediately tell somebody today what that thing is that you're like I feel like God's calling me this direction and I've been hesitant Um, but as you think on it which I hope you do like think on it for a few days a few few weeks pray about it ask God what boat What boat am I kind of lingering in a little too long? Where are you calling me that I might not be going? And um, share that with somebody. Don't just keep that to yourself. Talk to somebody. um, Build in some accountability. Or likewise, if there's uh, something that God's saying, I I don't want you to do this. This is not the path I have written for you. And your boat is wanting to take your own path. Then also share that with somebody so that you can um, have others to reach out to you and be that hand. Be that vessel that God reaches through and pulls you out of the water because sometimes that's how he reaches out to us right as with other people the love of others the love of the body of christ friends family um so don't stay in your boat amen go where jesus wants you to be let's pray lord god thank you so much thank you for calling us into places that we wouldn't go on our own and through that teaching us growing us making us stronger and a better reflection of who you are. And I pray as we live out um, the unique callings that we each have on our lives, whatever that looks like, Lord, that we could truly be a light shining in this world. God, this world needs your love so, so much. And I just pray for each one of us here this morning that we would be able to jump out of the boat and run toward you with open arms. And as the world might start trying to to beat us down or pull us under God, that we would just keep our hand outstretched to you, our Father who loves us deeply. And you will correct us, Lord, and you will set us straight, but you will do so with love, with acceptance. 
with grace. I thank you for those things. Forgive us sometimes for taking our eyes off of you, Lord. Forgive us for choosing our own path, for choosing ourselves over you. I pray, Lord, that you would give us a renewed strength, a renewed focus, a new fire, God. Light us up. Light us up and help us have the the passion to tell others because, God, your message is life-saving. There's so many people drowning right now, God. So many people are drowning. Lord, let us share your rescuing love, your saving love. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I wanted to read you guys 2 Timothy 1.7. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Step out of your boat. Extend your hand to God. If you're drowning, seek him out. Seek out others. Um, he will pull you. He will pull you out of the darkness. May God bless you richly. Um, tell a woman thank you for how much uh, she loves this world and loves others and will take care of others. And uh, may you guys have a blessed week, a blessed day, and let your light shine. Serve God as he has called you to serve as he opens his floodgates and blesses you for answering the call he has on your life. Amen. Amen. Amen.